There are many ways to make money from crypto. If anything, I'm pretty impressed by the innovation in this space. But how do we actually make money? I mean, that's uh, the real question that everyone wants to ask, right? So if we want to borrow some of these standard investing talking points, the question will definitely be, how do I know which crypto will be the next 10 bagger? Essentially 10x growing multiple foes. How do I know which crypto project is worthy of my time? Lending them some liquidity in the form of staking you know, aka staking, which is, you know, just putting money with them, putting your crypto with these crypto projects, hoping that they make money, and then you get back some sort of returns. What have you, right? It's, it's pretty interesting. A lot of things are happening. But the base question is, how do I know what is a fair vet? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to another Chills with TFC session. In this series, we have to bring on interesting, relevant people to help us learn better from various perspectives. Life is not always about learning from people that you already agree with. Perspectives shape a rounder thinker. So in our pursuit of the life we love or managing our finances, well, our guest today is someone that used to work in the derivatives trading desk in some of the biggest banks out there. Essentially, he's one of the highest paid guys, yeah? But he quit despite the absence of blessing with the family to join the fast-growing cryptocurrency space. He is the APEC Head of Business Development from Gemini. Gemini is one of the world's largest exchanges for cryptocurrencies headed by high-profile founders. Just go and search, you know, who are these guys? But they do more than just that. They have developed a whole range of products from payments to wallets to staking your cryptocurrency with them. So let's welcome Eugene Ng from Gemini. Try to help us understand, as a retail investor, how do I then invest in the crypto space? Long-term investments and something that's a little bit more short-term, kind of like cyclical and value play. You know, if we want to kind of put it into what most people will understand in a, in a retail inv investor environment. Right? So how do I then make money in crypto today? If let's say I don't mind, I don't trade, you know, what are some ways as an investor of cryptocurrencies, I can actually profit from? It is a great question. I think that's really, you know, going back to fundamentals, I think in most investing one-on-one, you really have to look at the fundamentals and, and if that fundamentals tie in with your long-term narrative and your thesis, right? So if you think the world is going to be digital, like, you know, streaming, you should be buying Netflix five, 10 years ago. Similarly with investing in crypto, the view in crypto is really, do you view crypto as a short-term speculative play or do you view it as a long-term paradigm shift in the way the world is operating that crypto is going to be highly important and integral to this paradigm shift, right? And so to me, when I look at crypto, I'm not betting because I'm thinking that the price of Bitcoin or any other crypto will rise by more than year two, four in the next one year. I'm looking into investing in crypto because I think in 5 to 10 years' time, this is my 10x, my 20x, my 50 bagger, right? And this is going to be a part and parcel of mainstream adoption. So 
for me, when I look at investing, it's no different from investing in speculative stocks like specs, you know, high growth names, junk bonds, you name it. You know, we've seen all those, <laughs> you know, jazz. And, and so with crypto, I also view um, crypto as an asset class where you want to be betting for a long term if you want to be making money. If you're trying to time a market, you know, I feel like it's not necessarily the easiest market to play just so because there's so much noise and nuance differences between traditional markets and crypto markets. Mm, okay, so interesting on that, right? 10 beggars, 20 beggars, essentially it's 10 times, 20 times, right? That's yep. what we're trying to seek for. So what you're saying is very over arc, you know, very big, you know, market trends, macro view, and that is very, it's like, it's like index investing, right? You buy the whole market, you're expecting the whole market to move. But is there actually index funds in the crypto space? Can I actually own the whole market? Is there something like that here? There are actually a few open and close-ended ones that is listed, but I would say that they are rather illiquid, perhaps because we don't even have a ETF in the US, right? Mm -hmm. The only regular ETFs, which also uses Gemini as custody and execution, <laughs> is the um, Canadian uh, regulated Bitcoin Ethereum ETF. So, you know, without... Canadian regulated Bitcoin ETF. ETF. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it, the name is actually, the first one is actually called Purpose uh, Bitcoin ETF. Purpose Bitcoin ETF. Okay. Is that, okay, yeah. Just search for the ticker yourself. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, search for ticker. Just yeah, search. Too many tickers out there. I can't remember. There's actually more than five mm. today uh, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Mm. And I think mm. you can find them on Saxo or all your retail uh, brokerages that you use here. So for me, yeah. Cool. Going back to the question, yes, you can buy into a basket. I think there are a few but they're not easily tradable. And secondly, they may not necessarily be liquid. And thirdly, I don't think it's readily available to retail investors as well. Mm -hmm. So those are three considerations you have to take if you're looking to investing in a basket of cryptocurrency. I would then argue and say that given that you have platforms like Gemini, you can literally buy, you know, a fraction of every top 10 tokens that is you know based on the market cap and just hold right and that's really essentially similar to holding an index and you pay less management fee because you know if you buy index they will charge you management fee yep. annually that could be more expensive in the long term fair 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 yeah. i didn't know toronto so exciting huh Toronto very edgy, huh? cannabis, then now Bitcoin, everything. Okay, so shout out to uh, Canadian Prime Minister, yeah, Justin Trudeau. But <laughs> anyway, on that note, right, that is the very big over arc, right? But if as an investor, if I want to buy the 10 baggers, like I want to hunt for all these interesting coins, interesting cryptocurrency that can give me that 10 bagger, what are some core ideas that you have? Or what are some core you know, frameworks that we should look at? Yeah, that's a great question, right? I mean, it's 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 akin to really saying, you know, I want to buy the next Amazon. Yes, I want to buy, the next, buy the next Facebook. Yes. Yeah, but you know, there are thousands of stocks out there. Similarly with crypto, there's thousands of them. And how do you actually pick? You know, it's never going to be easy, you know, even including me, right? Who have been in crypto space for a while, right? Um, I would say that it's important to be knowledgeable in this space, having the necessary general knowledge and then ask yourself, 
how is the world going to be in the next five to 10 years, right? So with the case of Amazon, Facebook, the fangs, it's always easy to say, oh, I could have, I should have, you know, that you could have made this 10, 20 bagger. But I think if we try to clarify our thinking and try to think about how the world may potentially look in the next five to 10 years, will we have flying cars? Will we have all electric cars? Will we be using air conditioning? Will we be having, you know, ultrasound from, you know, using our mobile phones, you know, being able to use ultrasound? I know all this sounds crazy, but I think in five to 10 years time, this may be the norm. So looking at your thesis and looking at some of the major trends and then taking that and then looking at crypto, how would that potentially be relevant, right? So you are trying to identify and the way I, I look at this process is really looking from a venture capital lens, right? When, when I look at investing, I look at based on trends, you know, so it's a top-down approach. You look at what may happen in the next five to 10 years. Once you identify the trend, you identify how the world may look in the next five to 10 years, then you go down to the next stage. Let's look at the segment of cryptocurrencies that will support this trend. After you look at the segment of cryptocurrencies that support this trend and narrative, you take a further dive, like a funnel down approach and say, how do I differentiate amongst this segment of projects? So number one, I look at team. So remember I mentioned venture capital lens because in any project and any team and any business that you want to be investing in, you want to be investing in a founder that you feel inspired, that you believe in his vision and they can execute. In all these companies like Amazon to Facebook to Tesla, whether are they successful or not, you know, as founders, that can be argued, but we all have to plainly agree that based on market cap, they're all very <laughs> successful in their own ways. Mm -hmm. I so, think Tesla is the only odd one. <laughs> based on the examples that you, you put up. People least, have no doubt the fangs and Microsoft and, and you know, yeah, but everything has a caveat, yes. Yeah. So the number one team, mm. and that's why I say that founders are important because they set the tone, the vision, and and business is very, is, to me, investing in a business, you need to invest in people. And I look at founders as very critical part of your investment process. The second. Wait, so how do you evaluate the quality of a founder then? It's the same as brand. Everybody tell me mm. brand is important. But everybody has a very different way of evaluating that. So same as founder, same as team. These are very qualitative ideas, right? Yes. So what do you look out for in a founder to know that, hey, actually, I think these bunch of people can make it? I, I look at, you know, especially that background, especially for those with, you know, a, a sort of, you know, years on their hand. I look at what they've done in the past, right? And I really like to see that they have failed in certain ways, right? Like, you know, the story of Mark Zuckerberg having done that a few times is that understanding of how you fail and how you can learn not to fail again that really makes you a better founder than others. And I always like to go back to um, practice makes perfect. I like to see somebody in a very specialized seat trying to develop something that gives a value proposition that no other companies can provide. And from that, it's like looking at this guy how is this guy going to build a product that is going to kick ass, going to beat everybody's products because he has spent 10,000 hours on learning the segment so well that I'm so confident that he knows this market better than anybody else. So for me, I look at his specialization, his experience, 
Um, secondly, I look at his track record. Have he executed? Even if it's failed, like I mentioned before, it's fine. As long as the experience, that's important. And thirdly, do we have a team? You know, so a lot of the founders we see, they're not necessarily superstar. You need to have a team. Your team is there to support you. It's always good to have a superstar founder, but if you can't build a team, you know, you're never going to scale a business to a global company. Mm -hmm. So for me, I will look at the team. Who's supporting their team, right? Are these guys equipped with the right skills? Or are they just high school friends coming together because they know each other? Sounds so like well. a lot of startup. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So is, is tech important in terms of like within the founding team? Because much like investing in any other tech startup, I think the tech core is important. So I'm assuming all cryptocurrencies is a tech business. So do you think having tech-enabled founders are important? I think having tech-enabled founders is important. But more importantly, you need to be able to understand your customers. So while being very technically savvy, like I've met so many software engineers who are founders, but if you're not close to your customers, you're not building products for your customers, but instead building a product, what you think is, in, is great for your customer, but may not necessarily translate into success for your product. Mm. So that's important. Okay, okay, that's cool. So other than team then, how do you evaluate the chance of success or the chance of getting a 10-bagger? I like the team to demonstrate execution in their product. So if they build a prototype, what's their run rate? How many customers do they have? How much assets they've grown? How much uh, traction in terms of number of users? You know, things like that where it's quantifiable by a measure of their success in their roadmap is something that I look out for. Okay, so, so where can we find this kind of information? For an outsider, huh? So, yeah. yeah. So for crypto space, there's a few ways. It depending on what segment that you're investing in, in one particular segment called decentralized finance, but in short, DeFi, um, where basically, in long and short, it's, it's trying to disintermediate traditional finance, right? So, you know, cutting the middleman, cutting banks, financial institutions, enabling a peer-to-peer -peer economy. A lot of times, the DeFi works based on how much assets is being pledged and, and collateralized. And in that process, the long and short is that you can see the total value being locked. You can see a total number of users interacting and that those are good measure in how fast the product is growing. So on a very high level, that's how we gauge on a certain segment called DeFi. In certain other segments like Ethereum, you can look at you know the activity on the Ethereum Explorer. You can see how many transactions. You can see the gas fees. You can see the traffic, right? And that is also an element of how do you measure the success of a protocol which is like blockchains where decentralized applications can be built on. And then if you look at something more like Bitcoin, which is more like a money, you can then also look at number of addresses, right? Unique addresses, the number of transactions, the market value. Also, then you can say, has it had any success? Because it's a form of money. So I've just basically in this discussion already highlighted three major segments in cryptocurrency where you can use some very simple high-level ways to quantify their traction um, in the market. 
Mm, okay, interesting. Let us go into a little bit more about DeFi, a little bit more about protocols. Okay, so we, we talk about DeFi. So I think decentralized finance is going around the media circuit these days, right? For like a better way to put it, I think for a lot of our listeners, if you don't know, traditional finance have a lot of intermediaries. We have clearing houses, we have brokers. A lot of people, they are doing the middle work just to validate the transaction and just kind of make sure that the whole system is working. So these guys are just kind of like oiling the whole financial system. So the guys in DeFi are really trying to like kind of cut out all these middlemen, like what Eugene said. And um, essentially, if you think about it, they are small little, little banks or they are really just doing a lot of payment channel, payment structure kind of things, right? So can you just kind of give us more clarity as to how do I then evaluate a DeFi project? You know, that there's always hindsight bias, right? If a lot of, like what you said, a lot of people pledge, you know, their, their crypto into the DeFi project. And that's the whole staking thing, which we can talk about. That is really just a commitment to the project, but it does not show the success of the project. You know, it does not show that oh, this project is going to get traction. How do I know that when I put my money with them, they're going to succeed? Right? I think fundamentally, there are a little bit of differences here because owning an equity is owning a part of the overall business. But in a DeFi project, when I stick it with a project, it's really me lending money to the project, right? So how do I know that, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting, it's going to work for me, and you know, it's going to be successful uh, in that sense? So here's what I think, right? When, when we look at uh, crypto, and let's take a step back before answering that whole DeFi question, right? When we look at crypto, we're investing in predominantly what we call a token, right? And, and that's really a, a, a major departure to the way we used to look at investments because we typically invest in a share, in an equity of a company where you can say, based on the cash flow that is generated, based on what I think the discount rate is, then you can do your DCF and then say, hey, look, the fundamental value of this company should be X dollars, right? And that's how we will program to think of how do you value the company? So that's, really how we've been looking at markets and valuing companies from a fundamental standpoint. And for me, with crypto, it's interesting because the company, obviously, uh, is a company with equity who issue a token. So how do you exactly value and what are you investing in, right? If you're investing in the company that issues a token, we will likely have to adopt a similar approach to how we value a company in today's traditional um, finance, right? Finance 101. But if you're looking at valuing a token today, let's say a DeFi token, then we have to use an entirely new set of lens, right? Because a token at the end of the day does not represent an equity interest in that particular project or that company that issues that particular token. So taking a step back again, how do we then value a token? When I look at a token, I look at the economics of the token, which people typically describe as token economics, token nomi, right? And then I'll look at, okay, the issuance of token, the supply curve, the, the projected demand, the use cases of token, right? So demand, supply, use cases. From those three aspects, you can then decide and understand how does the token accrues value? And that's what we are really trying to understand. When you pay for a token today, what are you exactly paying for? What are you ascribing that value that you're being you're buying a token for. And so for me, 
I look at investing in token very differently from investing in Tesla or Amazon or, or Facebook. Mm. And so I will prescribe the value of token to a few different elements. One, like I mentioned, do you supply? Is there burning? Do they have a, a fixed schedule? How is the token being distributed? Is it fairly distributed? How are they being distributed in the next 5-10 years? Demand. Can you look at the demand? Who is buying the tokens? Why is this price rallying? Thirdly, most important, use cases. What are the use cases that drive demand? So when I look at DeFi, I look at those three things. And, and as a result, a lot of people, like Vijay mentioned, they look at staking. Oh, you know, you lend the token, you lend your, your collateral to this DeFi project, they stake more, but that does not necessarily ascribe value. I kind of think that it's an indication because the more value being staked and really staking is an exchange for giving up the use of your assets in return getting an interest on the tokens being pledged. And to that regard, the fact that somebody's giving out the opportunity cost of investing and using that crypto asset today, but tomorrow instead wants to receive an interest, is indication that there is a value being ascribed to the protocol. So for me, I actually argue that the total value locked in any DeFi protocol can constitute as a form of demand because it displays the fact that there are users out there who's willing to forego opportunity cost of owning an asset today. So that's number one. Second is to really understand, taking a step back as well. If, if everybody's just looking at total value lock and say, oh, this protocol has 20 billion, that protocol has 50 billion. So the 50 billion protocol is probably more, val more valuable than 20 billion. Assuming market efficiency, Ex right, that one. Exactly. <laughs> but but that's, not, that's not it, right? Because at the end of the day, what's most important is that how are the fees being accrued? How are these fees? Because at the end of the day, every DeFi protocol, they are making fees to allow their protocol to run. So you also want to understand, are these fees being paid to the stakers? How are these fees being attributed? So it's really... Also, the understanding of game theory and economics, a very deep level of understanding what actually accrues to a token value that you can ascribe and then back out and say, okay, in five years' time, I'm going to get X amount of money because there's so much total value locked and this is what it is. So second is really understanding the game theory behind, economics behind um, the DeFi protocol, which is really important in my opinion. And, and thirdly, more importantly, what's the use cases, right? What are these... DeFi protocol, you know, driving. What are they exactly be used for? So if you are investing in this token and this is the value of market cap of this token, do you think this value of token represents the value that it has disrupted in traditional finance? If I'm using this protocol, say for example, I'll give you a good um, analogy. If the SWIFT network Everyone attacking the SWIFT network. Yeah. If, if the SWIFT network, <laughs> if the SWIFT network charges everybody 50 bucks, right, for transferring money and say every month it transacts and it generates more than a billion dollars in revenue, just hypothetically, and you did invest in a DeFi protocol that is aimed to replace, right, the SWIFT network in, in moving money from, from one place to another place, do you think that you are investing at, at a value where it's bigger than what the SWIFT network is generating over the next one year, two years. So that's the way I look at it, right? Based on traditional finance today, what's the value that you're trying to disrupt versus the sort of value that you're paying for the token today? And so that's how I look at investing from a very long-term perspective in DeFi. 
Okay, yeah, but but that is the total addressable market way of looking at the thing, right? You're telling me, oh, you know, because this market is this big and then these guys are trying to go for this market, if they can dominate the market, then you should value them equally to the traditional network, so and so. Right? So, so that's one way of looking at it. But as an investor, if let's say I were to put my money into a DeFi project, okay, how does it look like? I'm actually buying a certain protocol as a token form and then I pass it over to this project, right? And then the project will give me interest. Essentially, what you say, opportunity cost. Instead of me trading out there, mm. I put it with these guys, and then they give me my money. So then I don't really have upside in terms of the token itself. Because the value of the token is not directly tied to the success of the project. You, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like I can be buying Ethereum. Okay, let's say I buy Ether, and then this guy is doing this, some DeFi project. They want Ether. So I, I, put, I pledge my Ether to them, and they give me 10%, okay, per annum interest or something like that. The success of the project, my upside is only 10%. Mm. Right? So even if they are successful or not, you know, it, it does not affect my max upside. I, I think people need to be aware of this, right? So then how do I know that Ethereum is gonna continue growing? That the value of Ether in itself, which is my underlying asset that I actually own, you know, will prosper, will grow, the yeah. price will go up. That, that's a great question, Ridger. I think that, that a lot of people also confuse where the asset that you're using to stake versus the DeFi protocol that uses the asset that you're staking. Right? Those, are, those are two different yeah, things. It's not right? your problem, you know. After yeah. you put your money with them, yeah. they have control. And then you usually get paid in the tokens that you know the DeFi protocol is. For example, Matic is one and, and there's so many others like Aave. So if I'm very bullish on, say, a particular DeFi protocol, I'll buy the underlying DeFi protocol token that's one thing I'll do. And secondly, if I'm really very bullish, I can also use that token to stake. And, and it's obviously so many different types of DeFi protocols and some of them actually allow staking on the native tokens, right? To do other you know, interesting stuff. So point being is that if you're very bullish on a particular DeFi protocol, my advice is to buy the underlying DeFi protocol token and hold it. Hold it and, and stake it or do whatever you want, but just hold it, right? And, and I think that's the best way to express your view on this protocol. Okay, okay. So, you know, so I can essentially own the token of that protocol and then kind of grow with that. Supposedly, that's, yes. that's what you're telling me. So then I don't need to hold some of the major tokens out yes. there to be part of this. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's like, it's, no, it's like stocks, right? You you don't necessarily have to buy the fangs. You can always buy the growth, the more mm, speculative mm, ones. Mm. I, I think, in my opinion, again, DeFi is represents the speculative part of crypto because it's such a fast-growing space and, and it's such mm. a new space. Mm -hmm. But to, to get the clarity out there for our audience, the process of staking is staking one of all these major protocols, major tokens, yep. Ethereum, whatever have yep. you, to pass to the DeFi project yep. to use as liquidity yep. and then they pay me an interest. Yes. That, that's the main idea, yes. right? But if I want to write on this growth of this protocol, I can also buy their token exactly. directly. And, and, and staking, you know, the other thing about staking is that some, you know, in some protocols, when you stake, you get paid in their token. So, you know, you are still have, pos you have you know, interest in their success. Exactly. Right? Mm. So, you have skin in the game as well. So, investing, even though you may choose not to own that token outright, you're still having skin again because you're receiving that token. So you also want to have a view on the DeFi protocol. Mm, important. Okay, skin in the game. Uh, this is an interesting concept because this underpins the whole crypto space. Okay, fundamentally, this is something that 
I try to ask everybody that talks about crypto. Okay, not, maybe not everybody gives me the clearest answer, but I want to hear your perspective. Because when we're talking about evaluating a company, um, like you said, right, we're owning a, a fraction of the company to an equity structure. Okay, then depending on how well the company is doing and all that jazz, we will make our money from that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But when I'm investing in a token, I'm actually just buying a part of the overall infrastructure, buying a part of the, the product, right? So then how does the skin in the game idea underpins this whole idea of like, okay, you're not just, you, you don't own the main thing, you don't own the company that is running all this technology, but you're owning a part of the technology itself, you know, because it needs all this to, to work. Right, so how, how does skin in the game kind of translates into this idea? I, I don't know, am I making sense? <laughs> yeah, no, no, you absolutely right. From from a layman's perspective, skin in the game is being an equity holder. It's like owning, if you own a share of Amazon today, like I have skin in the game, right? I want Amazon to be successful. I, I want to be a user of Amazon. I want to be promoting Amazon and passing my referral code to my friends. Similarly, with, with Token, I think it's a bit of an abstract of departure to, to the way we think about having skin in the game because Tokens do not represent equity as we both agree here, depending on their use cases. In my opinion, there are broadly three types of tokens, right? Number one, you have, you know, tokens like Bitcoin, right? Tokens like Bitcoin Cash, they are viewed more as a commodity or a store of value or money, right? Or payments, right? So, so traditionally, those are, are viewed as such. And then you also have um, blockchain protocols like Ethereum, DOT, where decentralized applications are built on them. Those tokens are used more like a utility, right? You own the token because you want to be able to use their protocol. It's like your SQ, Chris Flyer, Air Mouse that you can't use today. Mm. The fact that you <laughs> want to use your Chris Flyer mouse because mm. you want to be using their, their services, right? Mm. That's the analogy I'll give. And then the last one is security tokens, which it's very similar to owning equity because you're attributed to the underlying assets, um, cash flow and equity interest. So security tokens is no different from owning equity. It's just that the token exhibits certain characteristics that are vastly different from owning a stock, right? Like, Which I like. like, for example, owning a token will allow fractional ownership. Mm. Secondly, everything will be on the blockchain. So for example, today I buy a token of equity interest in a protocol, you know, I can see which address actually sends me that, uh, that trade or that amount. But if you go to your brokerage today and buy your Tesla or Amazon, you don't necessarily know who you're buying from or, or selling to. The fact that you can trace um, the history of whoever buy and sell, the entire history of transactions is amazing. And it's 24-7. So you don't necessarily have to wait you know, at 9.30 p.m. tonight to buy your stocks. You can transact on weekends. And then, more importantly, 
for example, in countries like Indonesia, where you're not allowed to buy US foreign equities, this basically opens the entire market to this space because I can be in Nigeria, I can be selling my token to somebody in Indonesia who wants a non-Indonesian asset. And, and lastly, most importantly, it's going to release a, a very large segment of assets where I, I really deem and define this asset as private assets that are not necessarily very liquid and tradable. Think of a Vietnamese you know, fish farm, right? They wants to raise capital but cannot raise capital because you know it's a rural area, they have no access to banking. And you have a bunch of Chinese investors who want to invest who are very bullish in Vietnam fish farms. A token can literally help resolve that matter because Chinese can buy the token and the Vietnamese guys can then use the token to raise funds and give them equity ownership. So that whole segment of private assets, it's you know, hundreds of trillions of dollars because we're talking about agriculture, we're talking about, you know, places where it's not accessible, where people are interested to invest. So the way I, I look at investing in tokens is to break down into these three segments. Mm. When I understand what those three segments are, then I can understand what drives the value, right? So for example, in terms of like Bitcoin, right? The way I view Bitcoin being successful is adoption, you know, how much people using it and how much people are storing it as, you know, attributes for success, right? And is that why when we look at Bitcoin, a lot of people are looking at the inverse relationship with the stock market. It is not, there's no real utility there. It's a lot about, you know, sharp ratios. It's a, it's a lot about how they move, you know, as an alternative asset to the stock market. Because as a portfolio, as someone that's building portfolios, you know, we need to substantiate some sort of reason, right? I cannot be telling the people that, oh, market cap is 10 trillion, so it's a good thing. No, right? I, I need to know something here. Like, how do I know what is the value of it? And how do I invest in it? To be smart, you know? Yeah, I think portfolio diversification, adding Bitcoin, everybody should have, you know, and, and I must say this, right? Even if you do not believe in Bitcoin, everybody should have Bitcoin because to a Jeff point, right? That's really portfolio diversification increases your sharp overall because it's just an uncorrelated asset, right? But to the point of how do you beat the general market or create alpha, right? And, and that's really the question that I think Rajiv is asking is really to identify... Yeah, everybody wants to make money. Yeah, yeah everybody wants to make money. So, <laughs> so what do you invest in? So the way I look at beating the market, and, and this is what I suggest to most retailers that look at the top, you know, 50 market cap coins, right? You don't need, don't necessarily need to go out to, you know, obscure names that nobody have heard of. Just look at top. 50, right? Go read, go search, go look at them and then bet on those where I've mentioned earlier, strong team, great token economics, great use cases that fits your top-down approach in what the world may look and hold it, right? Hold it. Do not necessarily, you know, like holding S&P over the last 30, 30 years with outperform, you know, active trading. So buy, hold and let it compound over the next five to 10 years, that's my advice to all retail who wants to beat the market. Okay, fair. And so then you put it out there, right? There are the commodities and then the utilities, which I understand we've talked about the utilities uh, quite extensively. Essentially, when we're evaluating utility tokens, we want to see increased adoption. We want to see functionality, cash flow generation, and that would empower the, the whole network, right? Essentially, that's kind of what what we want to see as a, as a growth structure, yes. right? And your base case is you want to see the amount of 
pledging into into this network, you know. So that will help to evaluate whether is this uh, protocol going to be successful or whether is this project going to be successful. We're using it very interchangeably, but they kind of mean the same, okay. And then there's the third one, which is security token, which runs very similar to um, equity, yeah, like which is like what what you said, right? And this is the interesting part, which is all your NFTs and all your like weird private uh, ventures that are not securitized into the IPO market, mm. they're not securitized into the stock market, they go to this proce process of tokenization, which is, we're seeing a, an increase here. Whether is it from uh, properties, you know, traditional businesses, art pieces, mm. and what that, we're seeing, we're seeing that happening. Mm. And people are also excited about it, you know, they're talking about like all the future possibilities of this thing. But I have one fundamental question, who governs this whole structure? Because, if I run an IPO, I list my company, there's the SEC, there's all of them telling me and governing and assuring me that I buy this share, mm. this thing is actually there. Mm. But when I'm buying all this private company in the fringe parts of the world, right, or I'm buying this weird art piece somewhere, somewhere, that, that's been tokenized, mm. what am I banging on? There's no legislation here. You can tell me technology and all that, right? But what am I banging on that the real world physical asset is actually there for me? I think that's great, right? I mean, you really hone down to, to another very strong point. Like in stock market, if you buy Tesla, if you buy Neo, you know, there is certain form of, um, you know, fraudulent, you know, type of activity. Yeah, rest assured, SEC will double down. Exactly. <laughs> but, but in crypto, you know, one may argue that there's no governing body, right? Because it's decentralized. You can have people in all parts of the world without a real identity working on a project. And, you know, we are seeing time and time after again, headlines after headlines that there were a lot of scam, cash grab in crypto. But increasingly, I think regulators, as what we have seen, are starting to um, try or attempt to govern. And, and there are instances in, in China, for example, where there were a lot of um, supposedly Ponzi schemes where um, the Chinese authorities have come after very hard on, on those Ponzi schemes. So, yes, I think there's no um, strict, you know, governing body per se, but increasingly we are seeing the regulators taking a more proactive approach, whether it's in China, whether it's in the US or in Singapore. I think as long as it involves money, the regulators <laughs> are going to be very... Um, you know, careful, right? In like the, the one very recent cases, right? In in Thailand, regulator now is actually looking into regulating DeFi because there has been an uptick in, in scams, right? Or hacks that they want to ensure that the retail is being looked after by yes. right? the small guy on the street. Yes, yes, yes. So exactly about regulation, right? So this is another very edgy question. Mm. And recently, there's a lot of uh, regulation discussion coming in. Mm. We've talked about Tether in another podcast before and whatever the position as of now, it's been cleared, okay? Mm. Depending on whether will it unravel as we go along, that is up to, up to it. But that aside, we're seeing increase in regulation. Mm. And one of the main sell of cryptocurrencies, right, is that it is decentralized, mm. that you cannot track and, you know, your identity are being kept and all but the US government just kind of took back some money from a, from a ransomware. Mm. And you're seeing governments actually having the ability to track if they want to. Yes. Right? Because there's a whole ledger that you can actually track one by one yes. if you want to. Yes. And these guys can. So then 
does that not fundamentally challenge the whole idea of like, oh, decentralized is private, you cannot be checked, blah, blah, blah? I, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think there's a, a massive misconception when people say that, um, you know, you can't be tracked because the whole um, Silk Road was uncovered primarily because the founder was using Bitcoin as a form of payment. So, so to that point, I think using Bitcoin is actually a very silly way of trying to conceal your, your transactions because it's a, it's a very public and transparent <laughs> network. But there are other tokens, the privacy tokens like Monero, Zcash, where they're very focused in ensuring privacy where the level of, of privacy that, that or encryption that, that involved in a single transaction would basically give a lot of privacy to the individual. So I think using crypto is more than just privacy. I think crypto embodies decentralization in the sense that decentralization is not necessarily privacy. Decentralization is basically, in my opinion again, and not Gemini's opinion, it's really the ability for... <laughs> Cop comps. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the ability for, for, for different people, different parts of the world to in, interact, right? And that's really, uh, in my opinion again, it's really a build up from the internet, right? You look at the internet, right? It, it's streaming data, right? You look at music, streaming music, you look at YouTube, streaming videos, right? But money as a product, right, isn't streaming. Point being is that it's really evolution to the way we interact in the monetary part of the economy. And then that brings the idea of decentralization because we're always being held hostage, you know, not the nicest word, but it's true, by the banks, right? When we send money, we get, you know, robbed from the transaction fees, FX. And this was the reason why I was so deep into crypto because I was realizing that my domestic helper was getting ripped off from my FX, from transactions with Western Union, right? And, and so for me, that's mind-blowing, right? We live in a, in a world where, you know, with all this streaming, um, video, data, and yet, money as a form of, of product hasn't been innovated for the longest time. And and I think that's really one of the biggest narrative and thesis behind the whole crypto revolution. Mm. So you think that more regulation is better? Like, is it going to make it more legit and it's going to like increase the market cap? And then as an investor, at the end, I'm an investor, right? It still links back to the question of, is it going to grow with more regulation and all that? Or are we going to... Is it very political and all that jazz? So. Yeah, I, I think like the internet, it wasn't very regulated until very recently, right? So I think regulation can hurt innovation. But because of the nature of blockchain that is decentralized, that if you're going to restrict innovation in a particular jurisdiction, innovation would then flow to other parts of the world where basically the government's allowed. And that's happening already. You can see that certain countries are more like restrictive. Like like Estonia. Exactly. Like... So so I think those countries will be the will be net beneficiaries of being more liberal if the crypto does take us, right, into the direction that I think we will go into in the next 10 years, right? Like one of the good examples that I like to share is cars, right? You know, in the industrial revolution where UK was one of the superpowers, and cars was being invented in 1940s, you know, we have not heard of a massive or major uh, car brand from, from UK, right? That is your everyday car like Toyota, your everyday car like General Motors, you know, or even the Japanese cars. But in countries like US and Germany, they were allowing 
cars to take place because in, in back in the day in UK, they were basically saying cars are more dangerous than horse carriages, and more incidents, more death, and you take two person to operate a car in 1940s. So UK were banning you know, the use of cars as a form of transportation. The US, on the other hand, they didn't ban the use of cars. As a result, the superpowers of, of car brands from Ford to General Motors were buffed. So that's also a good analogy to give to people that, yeah, sure, you can restrict, you can ban, but countries who are going to be more open will be net beneficiary if that trend plays out in their favour. Okay, fair, fair. I think that's a very fair perspective. And you've, you've talked about that, right? And I think a lot of people also know that um, when regulators come in, means there's a lot more scamish, a lot more weird things happening in the space. So they want to protect the retail guys, they want to protect the individuals. So how do I, as an investor, kind of veer away? I know it's very specific to projects, but how do I know what is a project, right, that I put my money and then it turns out it didn't do well, right? So that is a failed project compared to what is an outright scam. How do I sniff it out? You know, I had a, a really um, interesting call with one of the list co here who, who runs uh, one of the biggest tech companies and, and he's, you know, they have this venture, um, you know, last night and he was asking me, um, the firm is actually now trying to allocate money and capital into uh, the crypto space. As you know, the NFT space is hot. Um, you know, tokens are hot and it's trendy. So he asked me, how do you exactly invest in a non-scamish project because everybody just don't want to lose their job, right? Or get fired, right? By their, by their bosses. So one of the first things I say to him is, when you invest in a project, you want to be investing and, and looking at understanding who are the investors behind this um, project. So so we were looking at this particular project and like there's like 20 investors that they have named job and you know, some of the investors that we did a, a due diligence, like there's no website, we cannot find anything on the investors. And, and that's a massive red flag. If you can't find anything about the investors that's backing a project, then you should really be questioning, you know, um, your thesis, right? You want to be betting on projects where you have a recognized or an established brand or investment firm or a person backing a project, you know. So for example, if you have a great iconic hedge fund manager or you have a big uh, VC fund that is recognized, these guys wouldn't be putting money in a scam. You know, you like to think that they have a better DD process than the average guy. So, Which means you, right? Yeah. The average individual. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So you want to be investing alongside with, if Sequoia is investing in it, you want to be saying, hey, look, I trust your DD, right? I may not be able to be a, a LP or investor of Sequoia, but look, I trust your investment process and I, I'm going to be betting on the same project. Yeah, so due I, diligence, by the way, DD, yes. Just means they did their study on the project, yes. Yeah. So so I think that's quite easy for an average investor to really sniff out the rubbish and the scam from the really legitimate ones because a lot of these top-notch VC funds that I know of engage in very thorough due diligence because you know, their reputation's on the line. And, and they're a big firm with an army of analysts, right? Mm. So, so you can trust them to do a better job than us, you know, sniffing out the scams and, and you know, the, the 10 beggars. Mm. Okay. And, and I think at this point, we really need to recognize that, you know, a lot of these 
crypto projects, a lot of these crypto protocols or DeFi projects or whatever it is, they are really at a very young stage. They're like private investments, right? Very VC way of looking at things compared to when you look at a list core, a company that's already gone through all the growth phase and then they're going up into the listing. So you cannot compare like Tesla with, with these guys or you cannot compare, you know, your big tech guys with these guys because when you look at investing in this space, you really have the VC mindset and in the VC mindset, it's, it's very different. They don't they don't just pick one or two. They pick like a hundred and hope that five make it, ten make it. And they're very like team driven and you know it's very trend driven, exactly like what Eugene has pointed out. And I think that kind of sums up why you put out all these uh, pointers as we are discussing. So yeah, I think that's pretty good. Um overall, for all of you that are exploring this space, I think we've done quite a wide array of discussion, right? From staking to understanding utility, understanding protocols, what do they do and all that things. But uh, last question, do you have anything else you want to add for our listeners? As a retail investor, how do you make money from this space? I think number one, really, my advice is, you know, whenever you invest in anything in this space, like Rajiv had mentioned, use a VC you know, mentality, right, to, to approach. Be ready to lose all your money, right? In a VC, every 10 projects you invest, I think only two or three really, yes. you know. Um, two or three is considered a very high hit rate. Yeah, so, so be prepared mm-hmm. to lose all your money or even your pen. So, you know, invest in accordance to your appetite, right? Which is, you know, if you are going to put in X amount, be ready to lose X amount, right? That's number one. Second, my... My advice is to look at tokens as a network, right? The way you value is network value, right? What's the total network value? How do you ascribe that value? Understanding that and then going back to having your top-down approach. Does that relay back to your overarching narrative? The third thing is be, you know, as, you know, emotionless when it comes to investing. In fact, the more, you know, this is really one-on-one, right? And, and I always say this, right, that if everybody is FOMO, right, and, and your taxi driver is telling you that, you know, it's time to check Bitcoin out, I think it's a, a time to sell, right? Because if it's so easy, then, you know, we wouldn't be having a market. Point being is, you always want to invest when you're convicted, not because you think everybody's investing and it's going higher, but only invest with that clarity and that confidence and that conviction it doesn't shake you up, right? If you're going to buy at 60,000 because you think it's going to 70,000 and it goes down to 40,000, it's going to shake you out. So, better to invest from a set of beliefs that you hold dearly and that you can hold through the test of time and passage of time. I think that's really important. Yeah, and for all of you that are exploring, you can always use the core satellite portfolio structure, okay? Your core portfolio need not be in crypto and you can have a little bit, you know, I think who is that? Who is that Canadian guy? Is it one percent? But either way, you know, just decide for yourself. Put a little bit if you are something. If it's something you're exploring, if it's not, it's fine, right? Ultimately, um, everybody has their own way to make money, and you just kind of live your life as as you go along, right? So yeah, I want to add on something, right? Why do I think cryptocurrency can present a unique opportunity to to most people today, right? And and in my opinion, and I know I'm biased again. You know, this kind of <laughs> when, yeah, when yeah. I, look, I love the self-awareness. Yes, yeah, yes. I'm very, you know, I have to be, right? I'm in sales. When I look at investing in cryptocurrencies today, I look at it as akin to investing in real estate 
in Singapore 20, 30 years ago when it's really nascent, young, you know, it's, it's mm. fresh. What do you think of real estate now? Uh, <laughs> we can talk about that. We can talk about that. <laughs> but, but really, if you think about it, in life, you want to be investing in good risk and reward ratio type of, you know, products, right? And and for me, investing in cryptocurrencies will give you that asymmetry risk sort of profile where, yes, you can lose your pants, right? You can lose everything. But the opportunity to make that 10, 20, 30 bagger is a lot higher than putting your money in the stock market. And look, stock market, we have seen cases where, you know, you know stocks get crushed, right? A lot of spec stocks that you guys have invested in, in, you know, since last year have fallen more than, you know, 50, 60%. So if there's a more of downside risk you're taking is similar to investing in speculative stocks, why not invest in something that gives you a higher return if your thesis play out? And in my opinion, of course, cryptocurrencies has the embedded core option, which is going to deliver superior returns if you have that long-term view. Mm, sales pitch, sales pitch. <laughs> Go ahead, listen through, learn your core, learn your frameworks, understand what's going on. You know, I think Eugene has shared a lot of good stuff you know, in evaluating the value of uh, certain cryptocurrencies. Of course, they are not all the same, okay? It's not, it's not a blanket thing. So yes, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared debated and discussed join our community telegram group follow us on our social sign up for our weekly newsletter everything is in the description below and if you love us and want to help us grow definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials also sign up for our members backend for more investment related content live discussions curated content and most importantly your commitment to us is a step forward for us to continue creating great content and focus on you rather than advertisers. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. Okay, we, we have last three questions that we ask everybody. Number one is, uh, what is the core life principle you hold closely to? First principles in thinking. Always question, you know, your beliefs. And and really, if if you think that your belief is, you know, like is X today, right? Two years down the road, question that. Is that the right belief? Is that the right thesis? I always believe in first principles. And you question myself many times, get my family, friends, debate. So adopting a first principles in the way you operate from day to day gives you an ability to navigate and, and see through the bullshit, I think. So that's how I like to view my, my sort of core principle in life. Okay, that's cool. Uh, number two is, what is the personal finance advice that you feel needs to be further propagated? My, my view is risk and reward, right? If, if you're never ever going to put any risk, you're never ever going to be rewarded, right? And you want to be taking very well-calculated risk-reward. If I'm going to risk $5, I can make $100 versus risking $5 to make $10, you know, but both, in both scenarios, you lose everything. I'll take the former, right? So, so for, for me, it's really understanding risk-reward and applying and creating as many core option inverted comma opportunities where you can make that 
the exponential return, and that's going to pay off a lot in the long term. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of the derivatives under underpin coming out. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to all the Toto Auntie, right? You can divert them to my crypto. <laughs> yes. Number three is, uh, which part of your life are you giving additional focus on now? It's my son, right? So I've, I've a 20 month old son. Um, there's nothing more important than, than family. So to spend more time with him um, because the best years, you know, would be, you know, when he's not, you know, asking me to pay for his, you know, games, right? You know, now he's listening to me. So I'm sure you've been through the game part, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I know how I, I turn out as a boy. So, you know, obviously, I'm trying to spend as much time as possible when he's obedient, you know, before he turns out to be a monster like me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well wishes to the fam. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.